You're listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Hello, Jackie Clayton. Hello, Katie Van Horn. How are you doing? Um, I'm awesome. It's Friday Eve. Uh, the dog keeps getting in the pool without my permission. So it's really working out for me over here in Arizona. Um, how are things in Waco? They're very Wacoan. <laughs> I love being a DEIB person in Texas right now. It's a blast. Let's talk about that. That's awesome. Um, it's been a little out of control. Just a little bit. A little out of control. Yeah, just a scotch. Um, well, uh, this is the Inclusive AF Podcast, folks, and we have a, a great guest today, and we're going to just jump right in. So, Beth, we'll turn it over to you. We'd love for you to introduce yourself and share a little bit about yourself with our listeners. Well, hello. Thank you so much. I love the banter. The fact that you have a pool, I find intriguing. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a pool. I'm not sure what that is. And your comment about Texas, it's so funny. So before I introduce myself, a little story. A good friend of mine, African-American woman, just moved to Texas. And so I said, how are you liking it? She goes, you know what? As long as you don't want an abortion or want to vote, I'm thriving. Right. <laughs> yes. Give her my number and I will go give her a hug. We all yeah. need a hug right now. <laughs> but, you know, it's so funny because, you know, you hear the news and the politics is one thing, but then it always comes up consistently on top places as a black woman entrepreneur. And that's why my friend moved out there. So, you know, yes, I'm sure it's like most things. It's a both and. Um, but anyways, um, thank you for having me on. My name is Beth Ridley. I am CEO of uh, Ridley Consulting Group, which is a consulting practice that I formed five years ago after leaving all my career in corporate to support uh, people leaders, you know, leaders who really want to bring out the best of everybody. I have the emphasis on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, because those are very useful and important tools in one's leadership toolkit, not the only tools, but really important ones when it, when it comes to creating that sense of belonging for everyone so they can thrive uh, in their workplace. And so that's what we're all about. And we try to make DEI and belonging very actionable, practical, relevant to everyone, position it as leadership competencies um, so people can take action right away. Awesome. Love it. So you were just sharing uh, before we started recording about Juneteenth, uh, the Juneteenth celebration. So would love for you to share, how was your Juneteenth? You know, my Juneteenth was very Juneteenthy. This was literally the first day as in my life that I have ever recognized or celebrated Juneteenth. For most of my working career, it was not acknowledged. It, you know, certainly wasn't a holiday or paid time off and was never acknowledged. And so I was always working and it was just like not a thing. Um, and so this was the first time I think in Wisconsin, it was um, broadly recognized by most companies. Most companies had the day off. Of course I'm self-employed, so I could take the day off. Um, but I went to our Juneteenth celebration, which I always knew occurred, you know, as a child, but I had never been. And I was blown away. It was all up and down our MLK drive which is over 20 blocks and the parade just kept coming the booths the music the people um it was pretty incredible 
And uh, I turned on the news later that night and the news said, I don't know if this is fake news or news, it's hard to tell these days, but the news said it is one of the largest Juneteenth celebrations in the country. And it looked like it. Uh, so I'm gonna go with that. 20 blocks, I, it probably, that's big. It was huge. It, it just kept coming, yeah. I appreciate that, you know, in Texas, we've always celebrated Juneteenth and we, it was always like the day where it was like, we're, we're not going to work before it was ever a holiday. But Texas is the Juneteenth, I mean, that's, the June, like, that's where, yeah. It was like- the last, the and, last place to be told. <laughs> and as a kid, it was when I was little, my family um, comes from Baltimore, majority come from Baltimore, and it was always known as a Texas thing. It was known as a very Texan holiday. We never went down to Galveston to the actual point, but we always celebrated. And we were talking about, a friend and I were talking about when we were kids, we were embarrassed because we would always celebrate Juneteenth and have this thing. And we were like the only ones there was a, a lot, a huge population. and seeing how people have embraced it or learned about the holiday when they didn't know about that before um yeah. it's it's it is so important that people recognize the truth at the same time when they're trying to strip things away and strip our education and the whole process i mean yeah. it really takes you know all of us sharing that information and giving us the opportunity to share the messages that aren't being taught right it's more of like passing these stories along I could not agree with you more. And this is why I actually really love the work I do, DEI and belonging in the workplace, because it is, I actually feel like for work, it is, for a lot of people, it is the most diverse place that they encounter more so than their neighborhoods and their communities. And really like a lot of my clients, but put a lot of celebration and education around Juneteenth because their employees came forward and said, I'd like to just share what this means to me. I'd like to share how we celebrate. I'd like to invite you. And for the most part, it went over really well, especially now that it is recognized um, and it's an opportunity for employees to share and to become educated that way, where they may not get exposure in schools, in their communities. Um, so I saw just a lot of good uh, from it being acknowledged as, as a holiday, really not so much as a day off but for the awareness and the education that I saw occurring. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm glad you both uh, were able to celebrate because Jackie, I know you were at uh, a Juneteenth celebration as well in, in Waco, correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. And we had bubbles. It was so hilarious. We had this huge truck. I have no idea. They We found out that there was a truck and then Todd, my husband, executive producer slash executive producer, walks in and they just give him the keys to a $91,000 truck. And I was like, uh... Uh, and so we never met this man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh no, you need to get some collateral. Um, but we had the truck, we blew bubbles, we dressed up like butterflies. I don't know what any of that has to do with Juneteenth. We were just feeling very festive. And we actually had a person playing the saxophone on the back of the truck with us. And we had so much fun. For me, it's been like a family reunion. Many people, fans of the show know that it's been a really tough couple of months, it's been a tough year this year. And it was so nice to get out and see all of these people at one place, especially people who I haven't seen in a long time and like-minded people. And we were coming to this big celebration in various places. And I think sometimes you forget. And it reminded me of when I was a little kid 
again, when we would do so, we would celebrate Juneteenth and it was all these people. It was like all my parents' friends, the ones that I haven't seen in a long time and all of my friends that I didn't realize that I had sometimes um, getting back together. And we did that and we did have a barbecue and we did something different this year that was called Unexpected Tours. And Unexpected Tours is an organization. They had someone live in Virginia and someone live in Austin and they took us to the Freedom Tree and they went to uh, Fort Monroe and showed where people were coming. And it was beautiful and exciting. Wow. And we got to see Hampton University. I had okay. never used them before. It was so cool that we could do it as a remote environment. Yeah, so unexpected tours. It sounds like a little bit, is it sort of like, have you ever done a virtual Airbnb experience where you can, no. yeah. Yeah, so you know Airbnb, they now have a, I, I stumbled upon it during COVID when I was trying to find virtual stuff to do. And so anyways, you can go to their website and um, people from all over the world who just have an interest or a passion share it and you can log on and you can join um, something in progress with other people or book something private. So for example, I did um, a gentleman in Kenya, you know, cause it's all virtual. You can be around the world was uh, talking about his holiday traditions and how they celebrate the holidays in Kenya. I did someone in Tokyo took us on a walking ramen noodle shop tour and took us to his like three favorite ramen noodle places and was just kind of like, you know, holding his um, camera all on. So um, it sounds like it might be something like that. I, I love that. I'm gonna look into it because, you know, I'm always trying to, help our clients broaden their perspective by just experiencing, you know, life from another perspective. And if you can use technology to travel the world and you never have to like leave the office, that's, that works for some people. Yes. And especially in this like hybrid world. And I'd love to know, like, as you're working with your clients, what do you think is a common, um, uh, like what they're looking for? Something, either a common challenge, but also like com common asks from your clients that you work with? Uh, well, I'll give you something that's super top of mind. It's just been like a recurring theme over the past couple of days. The truth of the matter is clients are, you know, they know that there is benefits of investing in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, but they're so afraid of misstepping. They're so afraid of being canceled. They're so afraid. So even this topic of Juneteenth, you know, companies are like, I want to recognize it, but I don't want to do a post. I'm too afraid. Like, what if I say something? What if people don't like it? You know, what if I get canceled to the point where they wring their hands so much that they do they do nothing? And I always try to tell them inaction says something too. You know, people are watching and you know they're looking to what you're you're saying and doing or not saying and doing, but that's a theme among my clients. You know, they want to invest, they're just afraid, and they're afraid of the misstep. And then as a result, they do nothing. That is sad. I mean, the silence is louder than the work that people are doing. And you know what ends up happening is I always tell them your worst fears are unlikely to materialize. You know, um, so for example, giving the employees the optional use of, of using their pronouns at work. You know, some clients are like, are, are, some of my clients are saying their clients will leave them because they work in a conservative industry. Um, our employees, there'll be backlash. And, you know, I say, well, the alternative is you do nothing. But if you believe that embracing these principles is the only way you're going to support your growth going forward, because, you know, people are you're the next generation. They're not just asking, they're demanding. 
So they went forward and you know what? It was a topic of conversation for literally maybe 20 minutes and then it wasn't. People moved on, the sun still came up. Then they started talking about how, you know, the copy machine wasn't working. You know what I mean? They move on. And so I think people are so afraid of the worst case scenario. Another example, I had a, a, a company, they're asked by their employees who were of East Indian descent saying, we want to celebrate Diwali, the festival of lights. And they always put up like lights outside to like celebrate the Packers or the Bucks. So they said, could we put up lights outside of the building to, to acknowledge Diwali? And no, what will passerbyers think? And I was like, they'll think their lights up. Like no one's thinking that hard, but everybody's afraid of the misstep. What will our customers say? What will the community say? The community said nothing. And, but you know what I mean? It's like people think that the worst thing is gonna happen. I, maybe that's a Milwaukee thing. I don't know, but you know, it's a, it's been a topic of conversation as employees are expecting to acknowledge some of these cultural celebration days and months. Um, companies are like, but we're apolitical. We don't want to do anything for Pride Month. Um, it's really hard. Yeah, and I think that the part that I always find interesting, you know, it, Beth, you're so spot on of like, you know, it's usually like this small uh, molehill. It's never like some major thing, but it's also the, to Jackie's point, like if you say nothing, that sends a very clear message as well. I actually just had a client reach out to me and they're like, so, you know, one of our managers basically told folks on Monday, well, you could have just gotten PTO and requested the time off. And it's like, it's not the same thing. It's not the same, uh, you know, it doesn't send the same message. And sure, you know, if you have unlimited PTO, great, you know, it doesn't hit a bucket or anything like that. But I think the other piece to your point is, do you want customers that would turn their backs if, and 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 I think for I mean we've seen some very recent examples that you know market shares have been hit for you know different very large brands, but at the same time, they'll come back. You know, like people aren't gonna never go to Target again, no matter what they might say. That's just not gonna be a thing because everyone loves Target. Um, yeah. I'm I am happy to see that Modelo is now the top beer in the U.S. Not yep. but like that's a, a very different <laughs> different different reason. Yeah, for different reasons, but I think it's also the if there is backlash, so what? And to your point, how long will that back? You know, so it'll last a day, and you know the lights. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is that why you have those lights up. Probably not. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of your why, you know, if, if you're doing something out of and you've clearly articulated your why, you should be able to do it with confidence. It's about having a long term view versus a short term view. It is also, I guess, if your clients leave you because of that, I'd wonder about the quality of your services, because frankly, if your services are really that good, most clients will be like, but their services are so good. Exactly. Because they're business people too. No, cancel that contract, go through a whole nother RFP, find new people because of that. I suppose some 
sure. But again, people's worst fears seldom materialize. I always tell them, instead of always thinking about what can go wrong, just for a minute, think about what could go right. And maybe that helps you make a decision with a little bit more confidence because a lot can go right. Human nature to assume what can go wrong. Very seldom do we think what can go right. And a lot went right with some of those examples that I talked about. Most went right. Well, and I, and I like your point that the folks that are new to the workforce or just entering the workforce, it's no longer a nice to have. It's a demand and it's a, is this company doing the things that I would want them to do from a moral, ethical, whatever you want to call it perspective. So it's definitely a, this isn't an optional exercise any longer and progress isn't stopping no matter what laws people try to enact or whatever. We're moving forward, folks. And that's kind of what I try to remind clients. You know, at one point, letting women work in your business seemed risky. Letting people, and would you ever go back on that? I mean, you know what I mean? Like 50% of the workforce, you need them. So um, yeah, I think when you are the tip of the spear, and most of my clients, you know, have accountability for driving DEI, you are then you know, by default, needing to push the culture beyond what they're already doing, clearly, it can feel scary. It can feel like you're alone. It can feel like you're the only one. But then I'm sure it felt that way in the 1950s and in the 1960s. And now these are things that are just for granted, you know, you know, so. 1950s or 60s, it's like, I felt like that last week. So I don't have any sympathy for how you feel in this moment. Like there are things where it's like, I don't want to blame and shame, but I also, I'm going to allow you to go tell the 20% of the East Asian people why you're not supporting them for this holiday. I'm going to let you take that. I'm not doing that, right? And I think it's important. So how is that going to feel? What should I tell them? That's the question. I mean, I remember years ago, like, it was back when I, in my Robert Half days, when someone said, I can't go to work. And it was because she said she started her period. And I was like, is it your first period? Is there anything going on? Are you sick? Are you doing this? And she was like, I don't, I don't really feel good. And I was like, help me create the narrative. I don't want to share anything um, because of, you know, health concerns. Help me explain exactly what you're feeling. What would you like for me to share? And it was like, oh, I'll go ahead and go to work, right? When she thought about what was was really going on, and I think I can do it at this point. It's like, I but get the support that you need. Like, if you feel like you can't move forward, there's something that we need to we need to figure out. We need to be able to su- to support you in that space. And it's if somebody's already reached out, even if they felt intimidated, but they wanted something. Why is this being handled this way? Why do you think that they felt it necessary? But then also they felt brave enough to bring this to you instead of feeling othered. When you go back to your clients, it's like, that's actually an honor when people feel safe enough to come to you. We need to honor and respect that fact. I mean, that's the message that we want to send, that we care. Because the alternative is just letting people know that they aren't important to you. How are we going to do that? You raise a really good point. And so I always like to tell leaders because they're like, well, how are we supposed to know? I was like, you're not. You're not mind readers. You'll never nail it. You'll never know. But you can create an environment where people can come forward and work in partnership with you. You know what I mean? Because it's their culture, too. 
Right. So it's like everybody, you know, plays a role in terms of influencing the culture. Are you creating an environment where the ideas come forward? Because uh, you'll never nail it because none of us are clairvoyant. Um, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could be. I wish I could guess. But I feel like bringing up holidays is really important. I And I always, you know, I bring that information black, like back. We have shared days off. We look at various things. And I don't think when you're talking about DEIB and you talk about national hand, um, like holidays, a lot of people don't realize that these are like steeped in Christianity and not everybody's Christian or they're steeped in Americana and not everybody is American that worked there. So it's like, we, you know, we're not taking out any, it's DEIB. We're not taking out any of the, of the letters. So let's address the people that are in the room. And I, it might be different in Milwaukee. It might be different in different places, but I think, it's vast in that you never know what's happening. I think each organization is different. I think each yeah. other organization, each leader is different. And I feel like the sort of the national discourse isn't helping because now there's this sort of anti-woke backlash that people are afraid of. Unfortunately, you know, I think just no one wants to feel called out or stand alone, right? So, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, to be you know told that you're too woke is now like oh my god i have to like speak up to that it really should be an honor i think like you're you know the real definition of woke is that you have an appreciation of like you know you're knowledgeable <laughs> um but you know i think it's people it's just hard to stand alone i think is what people are are just afraid of being exposed being called out standing up standing up speaking alone speaking out speaking well, up it's hard yeah and going back to texas i think you know the the recent bill that uh, the governor signed around universities and colleges of you know not having that education it does again it's that so we are trying to keep people ignorant and yeah. and you're basically signing legislation for willful ignorance and and that's the part that you know kind of I, I don't get it. And, and it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I think that I, I do want to change gears slightly, mm -hmm. if we can. Mm -hmm. So I want you to share a little bit about your your guidebook and some of the stuff that that Ridley Consulting does. Um, I just around, you know, some of these idea books, things like that, because I just think they're really, really interesting, the way you're approaching. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I sort of really take my cue from I like to meet people where they're at and give them helpful resources. And most of my clients, frankly, while they may have accountability for DEI, it's not their only job. They're just sort of respected leaders in their organization. The HR department isn't big enough to have a chief diversity and inclusion officer. And so, you know, they might be the chief financial officer, the head of HR, the head of marketing. And they're just kind of like, you know, they get it more than anybody else. And so they're sort of carrying the work forward. Um, and so they just don't have a lot of discretionary time. And so I don't want not being able to take on big, bold initiatives that are, you know, long term in, in focus be the barrier to making any kind of progress. So I really like to try to make things really digestible, bite size, um, do what you, you know, don't don't feel like you have to uh, do a lot extra, but sort of weave a DEI lens into what you're doing anyway. And so a lot of my 
tools and resources, my guidebook that you mentioned. I've got a lot of idea books because sometimes people just need ideas. It's how do you just apply a DEI lens to your daily interactions and to your decision making? Um, so one of my favorite topics are, you know, a lot of companies will go through a strategic planning process. Um, and the outcome is through conversation and dialogue, you want really thoughtful, well-designed strategies and plans so you can get thoughtful, you know, uh, outcomes. Well, a lot of times you just sort of plow in and it's sort of business as usual. And I just get them to, to think, you know, a DI lens really is about, are you creating the environment where everybody feels confident speaking up, even if they have an alternative viewpoint, um, sharing that thing that maybe they're a little bit hesitant to because it's outside of the box or outside of the norm, or they feel like for whatever reason they're taking a risk. If you don't get those ideas on the table, you're not planting all the little seeds of innovation and creativity. Um, those are ideas and opportunities that go un, you know, un, unseated. And so how do you create an environment where more people speak up? Maybe that means that instead of just the regular meeting, you also offer people the opportunity to break into small discussion groups because people feel more confident speaking up in smaller groups. Maybe you have an anonymous posting tool because that's another way. Maybe you just you know, send your reflection and discussion questions ahead of time for your people who are more you know, thoughtful in terms of how they like to communicate. So it's really just small ways of thinking about you know, not just designing something based on what works for you, because that's most known and that's most comfortable, but pausing a minute and maybe asking people how, what would help them best contribute and tweaking the process that way a little bit. So a lot of it is like, you know, helping them appreciate that diversity is also diverse perspectives and ideas, but it just doesn't happen. You have to do a little bit of discretion, you know, a little bit of effort to get a big uh, impact. Um, and what are some of those simple actions that everybody can take? So I have just chock full of ideas and resources just to help in a super practical way so that people, everybody can be better at their jobs. That's awesome. And I, and I love the idea from the perspective as well of it keeps, keeps this topic front of mind and keeps people talking about it. Cause that's the, the thing that I think so many of us that do this work have heard is you know, hey, a training's not going to fix it, or you know, it's a one and done training, and then they don't think about it until the next year or whenever the next training is. And so, having some of those things in your pocket to have conversation starters to just you know keep the conversation going, I think is such a critical piece to making an actual shift, not just hey, I went to the training that they told me to go to, now I'm done and I'm good until next year. And then you don't have the situation where, oh, we just don't have time or we just don't have the budget. This has cost nothing and, you know, and everybody can do it. Um, so small things done consistently is how you change the culture uh, if you don't have the resources to invest big. And I like that you said, like, you do have to keep pivoting and trying to meet people where they are because if it doesn't work just keep trying something and it might work for some you can't have one blanketed approach um and having multiple things that will work because you know seasons change times change and we can't always we're not clairvoyant like you said we can't always foresee what's going to happen but having multiple ways and giving people everyone a way to participate is important because it also can't be 
your one champion either, because that puts too much burden on, on like you said, if it's not their full-time job, but making sure you're, you're accountable and, and asking yourself, what can we do to make this person? I think one thing that was interesting, I was with the team and I was trying to help them come up with something and they said, we're gonna have sharing, we're gonna have sharing circles. And they were telling me about it, which is really great. And I said, what are you doing for the introverts, by the way? Like, can we have something else? Can we have a writing circle? Can people write and contribute for the people who have to think, people mm -hmm. that need more time? And then they were like, oh yeah, I never, I never thought about it. And I think posing that question, who, is there anybody that could potentially be counted out by this activity yeah. or by this practice that we need to come up with something or acknowledge? That, yeah. that, you know, maybe this one isn't the best one. We're still working on something different to, to acknowledge because acknowledging it, I think, yeah. brings a lot of things to surface. And that's sort of how I define equity at work because I think a lot of people trip over that and it's a super scary word and they don't understand, well, what's the difference between equality and equity? And, you know, I don't want that to be the barrier for taking action. So I tell them, well, think of equality as like, you know, the desired outcome. You want everyone to feel equally that sense of belonging or that they can equally contribute, but knowing that people contribute and communicate differently, equity just is how can we take a flexible approach and where can we do better than one size fits all? And, you know, a lot of times companies will say, well, we can't do everything for everybody because we have unlimited time and resources and fair enough, but I'm pretty sure you can do a little bit better than what you're doing now if you just simply ask the question and sometimes the solutions is not rocket science and it's not more money. It's it's just, you know, could we, yeah, send the questions in advance um, so that people can have more time to think about it. So it's just like, where where can we do better than one size fits all? And you're, you're hitting on something that Jackie and I talk about all the time, uh, you know, listening. Yeah. And listening. And I think that's something that don't rush to an answer don't rush to uh here's what we're going to do or rush execution listen yeah and i think it's just a miss people have and that also gets over remember i was saying people are afraid of being canceled and making a mistake and saying the wrong thing and everybody's like oh i have to have the right thing to say i don't know what to say and i often tell them like don't say anything actually just listen and you know because in our culture it's like we all want to like solve and you know take action right away and it's a little bit like counterintuitive. If somebody tells you something, now I have to fix it. Now I have to take action and not necessarily, sometimes they just wanna be heard or sometimes you can invite them to help to craft the approach. And you're right, sometimes you can, you do have the right to say, I'd like to just absorb what I'm hearing and think about this. You don't have to like move to action right away. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. Absolutely. 
So what are the the things, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you have folks that are fearful, which I think is across the board, what so many folks are feeling just with the current environment we're in. But uh, what are the, the things that folks are most excited about that you're working with? Oh, that's a good, oh, I like that positive spin on it. Let's see, most excited about, um, what do I, what do I got going on? Um, well, okay, I guess <laughs> summer interns. <laughs> yes, yes. Summer interns. Um, my, most of my clients make their biggest pro pro progress with things that they can do from a culture standpoint when the summer interns come because they're young, they're energetic, they're fearless, they speak up and um, they bring a lot of energy and a lot of creative ideas. And it's a great way for clients to sort of see what's coming and what's next. Because a lot of times they're what what the next generation and college students are experiencing in their world on college campuses, it's in their rearview mirror. They don't have that daily interaction. And when the interns come, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> asking about, well, they're actually asking how I may, how are we investing in their well-being? What resources do they have for their mental health? Okay. Oh, they're asking that. So summer interns, it's exciting. You know, they're happy to have them, but it's also eye-opening. And it's a it's a good kick in the butt for like, oh, what we should be doing. And I always remember when I worked in corporate, I loved having the summer interns because they asked for all the stuff that I was too afraid to ask for. It's like, well, yeah, 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 ask for that too. <laughs> I want that too. Ask for yeah. that. You ask. Because it's so true. Like the summer interns, it is the, I, I feel like it's also whatever HR has been telling the leadership team for an entire year, the interns come in and they're like, well, wait, you don't have this? And then the leaders are like, oh oh is that what and you're like yes <laughs> this is what we're talking about this is what we need uh so yeah the summer and it's all yeah the energy and the ideas and the you know just energy <laughs> energy and i you know it's so funny i'm preparing for a panel for my clients on just sort of like the next generation and like how do they think of diversity and and equity inclusion and um so i was talking to some recent college grads and they were like, you know, we um, we will speak up, um, but if we don't feel that our voice is being heard, we'll leave. And you also have to recognize we have nothing to lose. That's you know, right. so they're not supporting, many of them, not everybody, but many of them, they're not supporting families. Um, you know, these are entry level jobs. So, you know, in this environment, you know, jobs are plenty um they're a little bit more um i think willing to take on risk in terms of like they just have options that i didn't have being gen x you know like if i was in between jobs uber didn't exist as the backstop but i've definitely heard from a lot of people like i'll just drive uber while i'm waiting or i'll freelance or whatever in between jobs so i think they're just a little bit more willing to say goodbye if it's not working versus my generation like we were just happy to have a job <laughs> keep your head down keep working you know um so it is kind of interesting i think that because of they're just coming in with a little bit of a different mentality uh workplaces have to either become adaptable or or miss out I think I'm seeing that a lot too. Where and people, they're not afraid of 
you know, leaving quick. Yeah. Know? Even yeah. after they sign and they look in and they don't feel welcome. I think um, regular listeners on the show remember my oldest when they had their first internship and they went to HR and I was like, <laughs> like they were like, I'm not being treated fairly. I mean, they were just like, that's mm. what HR is for, mom. Like, mm. and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, everything was handled, but they also feel like if you have, if you're a company and you have these resources, I know what a human is and I'm one of them. And so that's where I'm supposed to go. And I think there's a different account accountability and expectation that we haven't seen before. And it is interesting generationally because people are working so much longer. And so you're having a lot of different things which can bring that innovation. Absolutely. So, in, so another young person that I was talking to also said this, I thought it was really interesting. He said, you know, all of us, we all have therapists. And when we, you know, again, different generation, right? And when we talk to our therapist, when we talk like we're frustrated at work, we're not unhappy, you know, but, you know, if I stay at this company for 10 years, here's the payoff. And our therapists are saying, but do you want to suffer for 10 years? Like we're actually right. getting feedback that prioritizes our mental well-being today, um, which I think is really interesting. Another anecdote, so I've got a, my oldest son is 20, and like a lot of African-American men, he has twists, you know what I mean? Like find an African-American man in his 20 that doesn't have something creative with their hair. And he went into financial services for his internship. I came out of the financial services industry on the more conservative side. And I really, really wanted to tell him as he was looking for an internship, you may have more offers and opportunities if you cut your hair. I really, you know, and I also didn't want to put my lens on him. And I, I guess I just wanted to see what happens and maybe he'll not get offers and decide for himself he should cut his hair. But I really struggled. I thought he was going to have a lot more opportunities if he cut his hair, right? I really, really struggled. And, the, and my advice was, cut your hair, get the job, and then grow it out. Um, but he didn't. He showed up with his interviews with his, they look like dreads, they're twists, and he got a job, good job. So things are changing. And then when I thought about it, I was like, who else are you gonna hire? Like what, what black dude under 30? <laughs> If you're saying we're not hiring anybody, you know, unless you have a low fro and a bald head, I'm not sure there's many of those left. So things are changing. Things are for sure changing. That is so funny. He didn't, and he didn't think anything he didn't He's never, like, they won't. My son's 20. I have a 20 year old. Yeah. He uses What's going thing, on with like his, he uses, it looks like a tennis racket. I always use the yes, sponge on my head. You know the tennis racket? I know. Like the, I know. Like it's, called a, it's called the racket curler. Ra yeah, the racket yeah, curler. So yeah, my yeah. son uses that. And he, what's funny, well, my son has a big fro. It's also blonde, which is a whole other issue. And it's big. And he loves it. I have, I used to, when as a mom, just because people are hot, I used to shave his head all the time out of convenience for me. And wow. because I didn't know what game or what activity was going to prevent us from spending four hours at the barbershop, I would just, as soon as we got it, cut it all the way down. But you. now he's like, he's been growing his hair out. I mean, he goes to HBCU down in Austin, 
Um, and there's all sorts of different styles and the exceptions that has changed. I mean, we had our all company meeting and we were looking for me as a VP of, you know, DEIB and TA, and I'm looking at all of the people and it, it was similar where I was like, at one point, I don't think any of the, these people would have dreamed of being in this environment of an environment where there's so many different kinds of people and the energy from that alone. And that's where it's like, you get really excited and you get to spend time with people that are different than you and you're learning and you're learning from each other and you're bringing those stories and having that commitment. Um, that's the joy of seeing yeah. people of getting to that place of being that acceptance, you know, because if he would have cut his hair, he would be like, I wonder if it was because I cut my hair rather than my own merit. And also then, you know, um, he should go through life being authentically him. He should, he should. So I learn a lot from this stuff. And again, so, uh, you know, I'm a little hardwired. I am hardwired and I would say I'm of the generation where many times I was the only one or the first and even getting your foot in the door to minimize parts of myself was worth it because there was no one. Now, I will also tell you this, uh, that's why I left corporate. After doing that for 30 years, I was tired. You know, it, nothing bad happened to me. You know, I don't have any horror stories other than the daily exhaustion of fitting in uh, and not even believing I, I could speak up for myself. It was just not even anything because again, I'm the only one, right? I think that my son being more his authentic self uh, and not compromising in the same way I did may end up having a longer career in corporate because it won't be as exhausting. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I never had, I never got that lesson. I always, at one point I used to do that, but I never, I never got, I did feel that way. It was a lot of stuff that I put on myself for a long time. And then I, it was like, I can't do this anymore. And it was the same thing. And you still have these things. And I don't know if people recognize them when they're talking about environmental impacts on people's, especially black women's health of what that means. And what they're not saying, it's like growing up in a racist environment, you're going to have an extra burden on your heart and on your lungs and on your muscles and on your, on your sleep patterns and your ability to do help being that being in that space and being afraid of speaking out. And I was always more afraid that not speaking out was going to do more harm for me than speaking out. Interesting. Well, you you're, know, but you're, you're more of a rebel than me. I was like, you just, I, um, I don't know if rebel would be the word. I think it's her mom and dad. Her mom and yeah. dad. Yeah. I was about to say, I'm like, I don't know if it's, it didn't feel very rebellious. It felt, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you understand and take those risks. And once you get that, I'm glad that he's had that experience of being himself. And I'm glad that we're seeing more spaces. Yes, I agree. I agree. So that that is an example of progress and change, right? So yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the the piece that when I think about it, you know, and the the lens that I have, it's the the companies are changing, and that's the critical piece. You shouldn't have to cut your hair you shouldn't have to not be your authentic self you shouldn't have to experience trauma every single day because you're the only and you're having to do 
the constant contact switching of, you know, who can I show up as or who can I not show up as? It's, you know, you said exhausting and I can only imagine. And so the fact that companies are changing and are actually getting that this is a positive to have these, you know, have different ideas, different perspectives, all these things, different yeah. um, that's, that's amazing. So uh, and, I, and I just want to say, I really appreciate your question of what you're excited about. I actually am going to ask more of my, my clients that because often we talk about DEI in the sense of it's exhausting, it's hard. And, um, and again, people are expecting the worst. I want them to start focusing more on the benefits, the, the um, what can go right. And I am going to start posing that question. What are you excited about? Um, what about this work is exciting? So that they always keep that in mind as the motivation to keep going. Absolutely. And that's one of the questions I ask when I'm doing like feedback sessions, when I first work with a client and, you know, I'm meeting with team members is what keeps you here? Kind of, you know, same thing where you're like, what's good about this place? What are the exciting things that are going on? And I try to ask that last and it is just like, Hey, this is good. Like, I want to know what's great about your culture, not just the pain points. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I think that uh, it just, we have to put a positive spin on it because there are some amazing things that are happening, innovations that are happening. You know, it, we have had, and I'm sure you have as well, have been having conversations about chat GPT yeah. and you know, the bias that's there and how, you know, but it's getting smarter with every, you know, turn. Um, we won't talk about, you know, robots taking over or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I think that that's part of it as well is that, you know, there are some very positive things that, Hey, we need to course correct here. Hey, we need to, you know, change this thing or, Hey, we need to teach the computer a different way of responding to these questions. And folks are excited about that and calling it out and, and fixing it. So those are some of the things that I also kind of look at. Um, so Beth, uh, I would love to know what is, you know, one thing, and it can be two things. We never really do one thing because Jackie and I don't follow rules well. Um, uh, but what's one thing that you would love for our listeners to hear? I want them to know there is no one right way of how to make progress with creating a cultural belonging. I think a lot of times people read what's happening or, you know, hear from other companies and get discouraged like, oh my God, we're not making that kind of progress or we're not doing this or we don't have an ERG. And I just want companies to know that, you know, sometimes it's a little bit more of an art than a science. Um, timing has to be right. You got to read the room. You got to just know. Um, and I would say as long as you're doing something, that is okay. And I think a lot of this is really um, innovative. So take a test, learn, modify approach, do something. Don't think like, oh, there was a failure or a success. It was right or wrong. Just learn, what did I learn from this action to modify the approach and continue to just put one foot in front of the other. Um, I started bringing, and I, I call it the Inclusive Leaders Roundtable. Once a month, I bring leaders in companies who have some accountability for culture, driving diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, to come together and just share. What are you doing? I'm now going to ask, what are you excited about? What's working? What did you learn? Um, so that people know there's so many ways that this could look. 
Um, there, it's not just any one right way. It's what's going to be best for your company. And most importantly, keep moving forward. Uh, so I really want people to take that away. I attend a lot of conferences. I speak at a lot of conferences. And there's always this feeling when you hear other people speak like, oh, I should be doing that. Or, oh, my God, now I feel insecure. We're not as far along in our DEI journey. You know, you just got to, I like to tell people you're doing exactly right what what you're doing for your company because you're you're smart you've been asked to lead this because you have credibility and the trust of your company um but just keep keep moving forward i think is the main thing awesome thank you jackie i think i'm gonna i want people to take like instead of being afraid of if you don't get it right or be afraid of what if you do nothing mm -hmm. what does it mean if you do nothing and how is that going to be interpreted? Um, and also, when you hear that message, think about the people that also have been put up that and didn't have the opportunities. How are they supposed to look at your organization and grow within their careers? Yeah. And it, I think for me, you know, two of the things that you mentioned is, you know, meeting people where they are and knowing that people are at different places on, on their journey of self-discovery, self-awareness, all of these things. And then I think the other piece is, you know, I, I will definitely put the link to the uh, the book and the cards. Uh, so the Inclusive Leaders Guidebook and then the uh, idea uh, conversation starters, I guess I should say. Um, I think both of those are just great because it has to be a ongoing conversation. It can't be a one and done. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll um, so Ridley Resources. R-I-D-L-E-Y, my last name, resources.com. You can download some complimentary resources. And um, like a very simple thing that I encourage leaders to do is because, you know, I, there's not like some diverse people and non-diverse people. We're all unique and we all have different needs. And you really only know that by getting to know people beneath the surface. So I like to say, ask a more thoughtful question other than like, how are you? Uh, you get a more thoughtful answer and um, you get to know people. So the question that I'm asking these days is, what are you streaming? Um, succession has ended and I now need something to stream. But people get really excited about their passion shows and you learn a lot from people. It's a way of opening that door for getting to know people beneath the surface. So I've got 50 more questions to ask that are more thoughtful just to get to know people beneath the surface. And that's such an easy way to create that sense of belonging. So that's on RidleyResources.com, a complimentary version of that. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Beth, thank you so much for joining us. We truly, truly appreciate the conversation. Uh, this is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. Uh, bye. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome 
the roadblocks to do so.